Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. My friends, I invite you to turn to the book of James. No need for thunderous applause, but we're going to be wrapping up this book today. It's been a journey, right? But it's been a good one. One of the things that I love about James is that he loves people enough to say the things that need to be said. I hope that that would resonate with you this morning because that's basically the way that he's going to be ending this letter to this group of Christians in James chapter 5 verses 19 and 20. I want to begin with a story that actually comes from a guy named Craig Larson, something that uh, he encountered some years ago. Jim Corley met his friend Alex at a dealership where Alex worked. Jim, he said, I feel like a hypocrite every time I go to church because I fail to live for Jesus so often. How many of you felt like that? He said, well, Alex, what do you call this part of the dealership? And he was kind of pointing at the area outside of his cubicle. And he said, oh, you mean the showroom? And he said, yeah. And what's behind the showroom? You know, past the the parts counter. And he said, well, that's the service department. And he said, well, what if I told you I didn't want to bring my car to the service department because it was running rough? He asked him. And he said, well, that would be, that'd be crazy. I mean, that's the whole point of the service department is to fix cars that aren't running right. And Jim said, well, that's exactly right. Now let's get back to our initial conversation. Instead of thinking of church as a showroom where image is everything, start thinking of it as God's service department. Helping people get back in running order with God is what the church is all about. Isn't that true? Now I will say this about too many churches. Too many churches are not willing to do this part of what it means to be a part of a church. Just won't. I I was thinking about this some years ago, back when I was a kid there. My dad, engineer for Union Pacific, and he was was gone. Uh, My mom had headed up the, um, uh, taking care of the babies for years and years and years. And there was a Sunday morning where they needed her to stay. So she'd already kind of served in the first part. And they just said, we need you to stick around for the second part. You know, we just don't have the help that we need. She's like, okay, I'll do that. Well, that left my, me and my two older brothers alone for church. And so uh, I'm the youngest of three. And so Michael and Gary and I, we go in. Of course, there's this word of caution. We're not going to be in there with you today. Uh, so behave yourselves, which is basically asking for it, you know. <laughs> behave yourselves. And so we kind of sit in the back like a good Baptist does. Um, and we, have, we brought straws that day. And we use the bulletin for weapons. And what I mean by that is we would just kind of tear a piece of it, you know, lick it a little bit, put it in the straw. And while church was going on, you know what was happening. How many of you have ever uh, done spit wads? Can I see your hands out there? There you are. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So church is going on, but spit wads were too. And so, you know, you'd have people that were kind of sitting out in front and, whoosh, you know, something would hit them upside the head and you'd see them do like that. And then you just kind of put the straw down. Well, church comes to an end. Uh, we had had a great time. Church came to an end and we go home and we're sitting there, we're eating lunch and the phone goes off, right? And uh, when the phone went off, somebody decided to tell my mother what we had been doing during church. Now, not too long after that, my dad came in. Uh, He had come in off of the train that afternoon. And of course, as parents would do, they had a meeting with each other so that my mother could then tell my father what we had been up to during church when she was not able to be there with us and to provide a watchful eye over us. Um, I'm not going to tell you what happened after that. It wasn't pretty, all right? 
now, here was the thing. My brothers and I wanted to know who it was that told on us. Now, how many of you would say a perfectly reasonable thing to wonder? <laughs> and my mother wouldn't tell us who it was. And she was the one that took the call. She would not tell us who it was that, that told on us. Now, this went on, friends, this went on for years. Uh, we, we got into early adulthood and we would still get together for something like Thanksgiving or Christmas. And we'd say, hey, you know, we're a long way past all of that. Who is it that made the call that day? <laughs> and she wouldn't tell us. She just wouldn't tell us. So my oldest brother devised a plan, even some years later. Uh, we're all up in Dallas when I lived in the Dallas area. The family was kind of together. Now, my mother is the type that if the speed limit is 60, she's going to go about 55, right? Do you get a feel for who my mother is? My brother puts her in a car that goes pretty fast and takes her out and kind of to an open, uh, an open road and just punched it. And they're going down the road. She's freaking out. He has a very simple question. <laughs> you remember those years ago? Who was it that ratted us out, right? And he just kept going. And my mother's sitting there going, stop, stop. Eventually, she outs the name. It was my grandma. <laughs> oh, grandma. Uh, I, I bring up that story, which is still, it still cracks me up, by the way. I'll admit, on that Sunday afternoon, there was nothing funny that was happening in the house. And I will also say this, my brothers and I, we deserved everything that we got. We really did. Because we were messing with a sacred moment. And we shouldn't have done it. When you think of James, and specifically James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, that's basically what he's going to be talking about today. Is that you have people that have fallen away. People that have fallen away from the faith. And he's giving this challenge to the church to take seriously the business of restoring them back to the faith. Now, how well churches do that is really up for debate. But on the whole, I don't think we do it very well. And that's what we want to talk about today. Here's the way that James begins it in verse 19. He says, brothers and sisters, if any of you strays from the truth and someone turns him back. Now, stop there for just a second. Because he says, stray is for the truth. Or some of your translations say, fallen away. What we have to deal with is that falling away from our faith can be a reality. Because James is dealing with it right off the bat in verse 19. I mean, you have to be somewhere before you can fall away from it. You can't fall away from a place that you're not. So he's talking to brothers and sisters. He's talking about Christians that have strayed from a Christian path. They've fallen away from their path. Notice that he says, those that are among you, which is a reference to people in the church or a brother or sister in the faith. And when he talks about them straying from the faith, this is in reference to stars and planets that are in the sky. This is the analogy that he's borrowing from, as if they have gotten off of their orbit. And as he's pointed out before in James chapter 3, verse 2, he says, now this shouldn't catch you too much off guard because we've all stumbled. Every single person in this space has stumbled. So it shouldn't catch any of us off guard that we should be about the business of recognizing a stumbling brother or sister and be about the business of trying to restore them back to the faith, or as he says, restore them back into the life of truth. Now, a Christian has gone off path when they knowingly and consistently live to please themselves and not Jesus. 
Has that ever described you? It could mean a person who has wandered away from the church. In fact, believers who live like the world, Kurt Richardson says, avoid the fellowship of God's friends. It's one of the best indicators that you have walked away from Christ, is you will not assemble with people who are worshiping Christ. This is a person who is no longer progressing in their faith. One of the themes of the book of James is that you are maturing, you're growing up in your faith. This is a sign that you're not doing that. There's no progress in your life. You're not standing still, you're going backwards. And by the way, standing still is also not a viable biblical option for you. I'll just kind of stay where I'm at. It's not a viable option. But James is talking about people, not only are they not standing still, they're going this way. They're going backwards. The hope of these two verses that we're going to be studying this morning is that the person turns around, is that the person gets back on the track, is that the person starts to embody and to live the truth again because they've walked away from it. I just want to give you one example of a person in Scripture that strayed. Remember Peter? I just love Peter. In Luke chapter 22, I'll never deny you. And he's not talking privately with Jesus. He's talking with his friends around him. I'll never deny you. I mean, they might. You think of what that moment was like? I'll never do that. These guys, you know, you've been around them. That was basically what Peter was saying. But in the same, in the same chapter, in Luke chapter 22, verse 32, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, when you turn around, strengthen your brother. Before he's even made a massive mistake that he's denied that he's going to make, Jesus is already about the business of restoring this guy. I've told you you're going to make a mistake. I've said it to your face. You're denying it to me. However, when you turn around, strengthen your brother. I think the same kind of word needs to be spoken over every person, myself included, that's in this space today. You will make mistakes. And when you turn around, let's make sure we're about the business of strengthening our brothers and sisters in the faith. Here's how we stray. Tony Evans gives this, I thought it was just really insightful, something that he had said some years ago, and I think that it'll benefit from you. How does this happen? He says, well, honestly, biblically, this isn't that much of a mystery. The book of Hebrews tells us how we do this, and it begins with neglect. We stray from a relationship, whether it's our relationship with Jesus or honestly, a human relationship. It often and usually begins by neglecting the relationship. In Hebrews chapter two, verses two and three, it says, for since the, the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we pay attention, ignore so great of a salvation? If we ignore it. The, the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us that we can have something that is a part of our life that we get to a place where we start to ignore what, what place it should have in our life. And neglect leads to comfort. Some of you can probably recognize with this. You can think of a sin that you have or have had in your life that the first time that you committed it, it actually jarred you. It jarred you. The second time, not so much. And the reason is, is it started to become a little bit more comfortable to you. What once was a thing that you would have never done before now becomes something that you're a little bit more at ease with. You've become comfortable with it. And that comfort leads to hardening. Or as Hebrews 3.13 says, 
It says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This is what it will do. It will take a heart that is soft and it will make it hard. You can even see this in marriage relationships. You can see that when there are moments that a couple starts to have, have difficulty, they start to fight with each other, they can also begin to get hard toward each other. They stop being empathetic. They stop taking care of each other. They stop listening to each other. Did you know that in our human and divine relationship, that would be my relationship with Jesus, your relationship with Jesus, the effect is the exact same way. We start to harden because of the sin that's in our life. We're not as sensitive to it because we were first comfortable with it. It just doesn't have the same impact anymore. It leads to spiritual insensitivity in our life. Sin, in other words, is not as sinful as it used to be to us. Calluses have set in on our heart. It doesn't even feel sinful anymore. And this leads, Tony Evans says, to a refusal to grow. You don't even see a need to grow. You're content. You're in a place that you like to be. Hebrews 5.11 says it like this. It says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer even try to understand. Have you ever come to a place where Hebrews 5.11 is exactly where you are spiritually. You're not even trying to understand things anymore. That's what an insensitive heart will do. You no longer try to understand. You no longer try to grow. By the way, that phrase comes from a saying. You've become mule-headed. Have you ever heard that before? The effect of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, where you're no longer trying to understand and you're no longer trying to grow, is seen in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. It says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not even solid food. You should be way past this spiritually. Have you ever known somebody in your life where maybe you haven't seen them for like, like 10 years, something like that, and then you see them again, and you go, boy, there are some people that just never change. Have you ever had that moment before? Or you even see them 20 years later? And you go, boy, there are just some people that never change. They're exactly the same person they were as you saw them 10 or 20 years ago. Know anybody like that? Let's name them out loud. I'm kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> the truth is we all know somebody like that. And some of us might even say, you know what? It's me. It's me. Spiritually, there's absolutely no difference in me today than there was 10 years ago. Maybe what we need to consider is that we are embodying this process that Tony Evans warned us about. We've refused to grow. And the result of refusing to grow is that you become a blatant rebel. That's not a good thing, by the way. Only in Star Wars are the rebels the good guys. Right? The rebel alliance. Well, don't be that. Not in this case. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemy of God. There's a strong warning here. But one of the things we need to keep in mind from Hebrews chapter 10 is that this is basically saying the anger of God that we usually see in Scripture that is for the non-believer, the one that rejects the relationship with God, he will take out even on a believer because they have become belligerent and has a who cares attitude toward their relationship with God. It's the same kind of anger. He says, I'll meet it out on you. God doesn't play with us, does he? And God doesn't want us 
playing with him. He takes this relationship very seriously. In fact, most of the, let's say all of the time, God is taking the relationship with us much more seriously than we're taking our relationship with him. Let's just be fair. So what are our responsibilities to the rebels? Because we have them. Remember where James started in James chapter 5, verse 19? What did he say? Talks about restoring those that have fallen away. You see in verse 20, he says, Let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And this, my friends, is exactly where churches need to improve. This is where we need to improve. You know, for example, a person that is walking out of step, but you act like it's none of your business. Or on their end, they tell you that it's none of your business. James is telling you, you're wrong. You're wrong. It is your business. If you actually love this person, then you would provide a loving correction for the person. Sometimes you have to look at a person and say, what you did was just wrong. It was wrong. And call a spade a spade. For the good of their restoration. It's not just so that you get to get it out of you. It's because you want them back in line with the Lord whose relationship has been fractured by the sin that's in their life. That's your goal. That's your desire. We have that responsibility. But we don't do it very well. Uh, Think about it. Just think about some practical ways that this is true. You know, imagine that you say something like this. You know, I see that you spend a lot of time with Ted Bundy, but that's none of my business. I mean, who would say something like that? Who would say something like that? I mean, who am I to step into your life? Maybe you're a loving person that cares about people. And so you step into people's lives in a good and loving way. James says that we should take measures to restore them. Here's why we often don't is because of their possible reaction. Is that fair? One of the reasons that we don't is because of their possible reaction. Before you say anything, you sit there and you start measuring things. And there's nothing wrong with measuring your words. That's good. You want to speak in gentleness and respect, but you want to speak. But maybe on the front end, you're sitting there going, if I say this, they are going to tear me up. I mean, they are going to rip me to shreds. I have done interventions with alcoholics, and I'm telling you, they are never fun. Never. Uh, Over the years, I have have had things said to me when I'm trying to restore a brother or sister that would absolutely blow your mind. Here's the way I work. Before I go into it, I expect it. I just expect it. Rarely have I had someone, when I look at them and say, look, you're out of line, but I'm here to help, say, man, I'm just so glad you showed up and care so much for me. That is not usually the way that people react because we're too bought up in pride, too bought up in our own way, too justified in our own eyes. James has already talked about that. Too justified in our own eyes. The other reason that we don't want to talk about it, it's not just because we anticipate the reaction that the person is going to give, but we're aware that our own failures are going to be brought up by the person that we're talking to. Who are you to talk to me? And then it's no longer about what it is that you're there to help the person with. They've turned, they've turned it on you. And all of a sudden it's about you. And you're sitting there going, well, crud, I don't want that. Here's a possibility. It is possible that both of you needed to get your life back in order. And the only thing that was going to do it is by having a conversation about it. Actually bringing it up. See, restoring people, James says, 
It actually keeps them from death. It actually keeps them from death. He said that in verse 20. And death actually has two different manifestations of it. One is there's a physical death. And another is a spiritual death. If you think about physical death, you go back to Genesis and you have the fall in Genesis 3. You start reading after that and it starts talking about people and how many years they lived. And it says, and then they died. And friends, they're just saying they physically died. One of the results of sin was a physical death. But there's also a spiritual death that results from it, which is you no longer have the intimate presence of God in your life because of the sin in your life. Sin is intimately present to you. God is very absent from you. But James says, but when we go and we talk, we confront, we try to bring them back in. When it really works, when they really listen to what you're saying, when they really listen to what you're saying, his grace covers a multitude of sins. It just does. Isn't that what you were trying to get them to anyway? Is back under the covering of the grace of Jesus. By the way, he's quoting Proverbs 10:12 here, which says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. Love covers all wrongs. Uh, the cover of sin, he uses the word, the cover of sin. So when you deal with the sin, God can forgive it. You can move on from what is causing death in your life and you can go back to life. That's covering the sin. The goal of a covenant, when you enter into a covenant relationship, you covenant with your husband. You covenant with your wife before God. You covenant with God when you come to a relationship with God. It's like an umbrella when you're out in the rain. If you have it, you have a covering. You possess it. You possess it. And so, you're in it. However, if the umbrella isn't open, the covering doesn't cover you even though you possess the covering. Make sense? You've got the umbrella, but it's down by your side. So until you open it and place yourself under it, you are not covered by the covenant. See, many Christians, again, who James is talking to, many Christians are living uncovered, not because you don't have an umbrella, because if you have Jesus, you have the covenant. Not because of that, but you may not be covered. That is operating underneath the umbrella. If you operate underneath it, you get the benefit of it. If you operate outside of the covenant, you don't get the benefits of the covenant. The umbrella, by the way, doesn't stop the rain from raining. It stops it from raining on you. That's what the umbrella does. And what it shows us is this is the beauty of Jesus. All Christians are equal in the sense that we are in a covenant with Jesus. We are forgiven. But it does not mean that you are operating under the covenant with Jesus. And so we are not all equal in terms of the empowering benefits of the cross in our lives. We're not. If your life is basically caught up in gossiping and slander and maligning and vindictiveness and hatefulness, or as Paul says in Galatians, and all of their first cousins, you are not operating under a covenant that you agreed to when you came to Jesus. And what that means is you're not operating under the empowering benefits of the cross in your life in Jesus. You've gone back to your own way. Here's another way of seeing it. I have sensors in my garage to raise the door and whatnot. The garage door sensors, when they're not in alignment with each other, maybe they get bumped or something. What that means is they're not communicating with each other. It's not about the power, just so you know. The reason that the door isn't raising is not because there's not power to the garage door. There's power to the garage door. 
It's actually about getting the laser in alignment so that the power that you already have can work. Some of you friends have a covenant with Jesus and your umbrella is down and you wonder why you're just getting poured on. It's not a mystery. Scripture is telling you. But he's also saying, come back. Come back. So how do we do it? How do we restore somebody? I want to give you a few things to think about this morning. Because I'll admit, this can be difficult. This isn't always easy. In fact, it's usually not easy. When a parent is correcting a child, it's usually not easy. When you're having to confront a friend, it's usually not easy. You might have to have hard, not necessarily harsh words, but hard words with your spouse. That's not easy, but it's important. How do we do it? First, let me encourage you to talk to God before talking to the person. And what I'm talking about specifically here is you need to check yourself first. You need to check yourself first. In James 4, 1 and 2, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from desires that battle within you? Friends, we all have desires that we have that if they don't go checked will lead to fights. Never meant to be that way. Start with yourself. What's my place in this? Don't necessarily start with the other. You get there. Start with yourself. Remember, James said, you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you'll fight. You do not have because you don't even ask God. Talk to God before talking to the person. What is it about you, maybe, that needs to get cleaned out first? Second, when it comes to restoration, it's your job to take the initiative. This one's difficult. It's your job to take the initiative. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, Jesus told us this. He said, if you, if you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to the friend, make things right. And then and only then, come back and work things out. Then and then, come back, present your offering. Go make it right. Notice who takes the initiative there. Who is Jesus telling to take the initiative? When you see brokenness, you go. By the way, we see this modeled by Jesus himself. Scripture tells us that none seek God, so what happens? Jesus came after us. He took the initiative. So insofar as I'm supposed to say I'm a follower, I'm a Christian, I'm a little Christ, which is what the word means, that means when I see brokenness, I take the initiative. It's what it means. Just last Sunday, not terribly long after church, uh, I made a mistake in the way that I spoke to one of my girls. I just did. I did. I was frustrated. I think my phone had gone off like set, literally seven times in a row. And I could, I could not keep up with how much the phone was going off. And then the phone went off again. And I snapped. And it was just for a moment. But I snapped. Now when I had my first chance to see her when she got back home, I just went to her and I said, you did not deserve that. That one is on me. You deserved better. And I'm sorry. And I hope you know I love you. That one was on me. I took the initiative. Friends, you're supposed to take the initiative too. You're supposed to take the initiative. Sometimes we need to sympathize with where somebody is coming from though. Philippians 2.4 says, look out for another person's interest, not just for your own. Don't go there. 
Or even Proverbs 19.11, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. How good are you at that? Jesus is really good at that. How about you? How about you? Or are you quick, even in groups, to point out everybody else, to make fun of them, to cut their knees out from under them, If that is how you basically operate, you need to understand you have lost your way. That is not the way of Christ. It is not what he did for you in his grace and mercy. It is not what you're supposed to do for other people. It's not. If you see the brokenness of another person and you think that that's leverage to hang something over your head, you're about as far away from Jesus as you can get. Because what Jesus saw was your brokenness and say, I'm coming to heal it. I'm coming to restore it. I'm coming to fix it. So what this means is that at times, you know what we have to do? Confess our part of the conflict. When it comes here, we confess our part. When it comes here, we confess our part. Jesus said, get rid of the log from your own eye, then perhaps you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Doesn't mean you can't see it. Deal with yourself first. Or 1 John 1, 8 says, if we, cl- if we claim that we're free from sin, we have fooled ourselves. We have fooled ourselves. James is saying, Totally agree. Maybe confess your part of the conflict, but as you do it, let me encourage you, make sure that you're dealing with the problem and not attacking the person. Deal with the problem, not attacking the person. In Psalm 73, 21 and 22, it says, when my thoughts were bitter and my feelings were hurt, I was as stupid as an animal. Caution. Sometimes our emotions will get the better of us. But Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle response will diffuse anger, but a sharp tongue will kindle a temper fire. Are you escalating the situation or are you helping the situation? Is basically what Solomon is trying to say. And in all of this, cooperate as much as possible. Cooperate as much as possible. You've heard me say this before, and I'm just borrowing from Paul in Romans 12.18. Do everything possible on your part to live at peace with everybody. Do everything that's your part even though you can't control their response. And it might be absolutely true that when you go and you speak a truth to a person that they absolutely lash back at you. You had no control over that part whatsoever. You know what you did have control over? Is taking the initiative for restoration. You did have that. James is asking us to do something difficult. It's to see someone that has strayed from the truth and to say, I love you enough to tell you, I want you to come back to Jesus because you've lost your way. You've lost your way. A.B. Simpson was once talking about the gospel, which is basically a word that means, I've got some good news for you. I've got some good news for you. A.B. Simpson is reported to have said that the gospel tells rebellious men that God is reconciled, that justice is satisfied, that sin has been atoned for, that the judgment of the guilty may be revoked, the condemnation of the sinner is canceled, the curse of the law is blotted out, that the gates of hell are closed, the portals of heaven are opened wide, the power of sin is subdued, the guilty conscience is healed, the broken heart is comforted, the sorrow and misery of the fall is undone. That is good news. That is good news. So for some, let me give you this word. For some of you, you have an unused umbrella this morning. You made a covenant with Jesus, but you're walking down with your umbrella down. And you wonder why it's raining on you. It's not a mystery. It's time to get the umbrella back up. It's time 
to walk back, as James says, to restore your life to the truth that you have been called to. But for others, you have no umbrella and you can't cover yourself with something that you don't have. You have never asked Christ to forgive you for anything. You have never trusted him for your salvation. You have no covenant with him. And when you have no covenant, you have no covering. It's the way it works. When you have no covenant, you have no covering. But you do have this promise from Scripture, and I give you two things that I end with today. In Proverbs 28, 13, it says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. It's a promise. You will. And even Psalm 32, 1, How blessed is he whose sin is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed are you. That's what Jesus wants to do for you this morning. It is what he wants to do. He wants the gates of hell to be closed. He wants the doors of heaven to be opened wide for you. For some of you, it's to restore the power of the covenant that you have in Jesus in your life. You got to get the lasers back lined up. That means you get your life back lined up. It's what James is calling us to. But for others, it's to take Jesus for the first time to get under the covering of his forgiveness. And then you can walk in the power of his spirit in a brand new way. He says, I've, called, I've come to give you life and life abundant. That's what he wants to give you. The question is this morning, are you gonna take it? Are you gonna take it? Do you know where the problem all began? It began with Adam, right? Who said, I'm gonna do things my own way. You know where the problem is today? exact same place. I'm just going to do things my own way. Jesus is saying, there's a a different way. There's a different way. Where are you at this morning, friends? One, one, is there a relationship that you know of, a person that has walked away from Christ? And are you willing to follow the directions of James in initiating restoration for them because you love them. It's hard, but that's all it is. It's not impossible. You have the Lord. You have the Holy Spirit. Do you love them enough to do it? Do you have somebody in your mind? Or how about you? How about you? Maybe as you listen to this, you go, good grief, it's me. I'm the one that years ago confessed Christ I'm not sure that anybody by walking around me would even know that. James is saying, it's time to come back. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.